This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Greetings, Gothamites. Welcome to Batman Books, The Dark Knight in Prose, where the only pictures are those formed in the imagination. I'm Lane. And I am Pax. Back again. Back again, again, again. Guess who's back, back, back. <laughs> Pax again, again, again. Okay. Yeah, it's a little too early in the podcast for stuff like that, so we'll just move on. So today, we are covering chapters... 31 through 35 of the novelization of Batman Returns. Yay. Yeah, we're, we're, we're so close to the end I of this book. I was just about to say, we're getting towards the end, you know, and I'm getting a little anxious. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying doing these, but I'm also looking forward to the end, but also I don't want it to end, so. <laughs> yeah, I think the next episode after this will be our last one because there's the, the five chapters, three of which are very short. And then a couple left after that. So I figure we'll just do all seven and then we'll do our finale of uh, doing a watch through if you're game. Yeah, yeah. I have it penciled in. I knew we, we had talked about it. So yeah, <laughs> guess without any further ado, let's get into chapter 31. Let's do chapter 31, scene one. Batman was in the middle of a nightmare. First, his car had been taken out of his control. Batman punched out the instrument panel in front of him. It looked like half the system had been rewired. How had they managed this? He had only left the Batmobile alone for a few minutes. The time and expertise to accomplish this sort of thing was staggering. They had not only rigged the Batmobile, they had also foiled those warning systems he had put in to tell him of just this sort of tampering. And, once the car was under another's control, it was being driven at top speed directly toward the Christmas crowds. Apparently, the Penguin wouldn't be satisfied with only Batman's death. He wanted innocent bystanders to die as well. So, chapter 31, scene 1, is from Batman's point of view. He, um, I feel like I'm skipping something. No, I guess it just picks up where he is in the Batmobile, and Penguin has taking control Correct. with a really cool remote control device he's got. Yeah, the uh, last chapter ended with him and gentlemen start your screaming. And then now we're at, like, Batman realizing the Batmobile's been taking control. Yes. So Batman uh, punches out the instrument panel because that's how he handles things. <laughs> he does. He's very punchy-punchy. I was about to dock him points for, you know, punching things, but... It is a desperate situation. He's trying to act quickly before somebody gets hurt. But he only gets one pass for this scene, and I think he's going to blow through those really quick. Yeah, he tends to do that. 
And uh, he, do- he does call himself out on it. He does mention, like, his first instinct when he sees Penguin's face is to disconnect the monitor. He didn't say punch it. I think he, he says to disconnect the monitor. But then he's like, no, that won't help the situation. I need to figure this out. And then the Penguin says something else, and he's like, all right, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing Bruce is rich. Yes, exactly. He opens up the, the instrument panel, and to him it looks like half the system has been rewired. And, and I remember you and I talking about this before, you know, why there wasn't some kind of alert or something, some kind of alarm, but it says in here that they got around the warning systems he had built into the Batmobile just to tell him of this sort of tampering. Yes. Yes. And that, that's what I think I like about this part of the book. I mean, this is, this is a fun part of the movie, but in this book, they really make it seem like what the circus folk did was an a big deal. Like if you if you watch the movie, it feels like, you know, they broke into it and then put that little white antenna on the bottom and then closed it back up and that was kind of it. Like it wasn't that big of a deal. But here in the book, mm-hmm. it really hits home that it's like they did a lot. Like they they broke out all the control panels. They had all the blue that's why they had all the blueprints. They rewired everything. They probably put some other kind of stuff in there to kind of bypass certain things that like you said, they the book mentions it bypassed the alerts and stuff like that. So they did a ton in that Batmobile and the book calls it out and I like that better because I I know we talked about it. It's like I'm not in love with the idea of someone else breaking in and having their way with the Batmobile like that. But Mm -hmm. uh, I like the way the book makes it a big deal because it is, it is a big deal for someone to do that. Yeah, it's a huge deal. And having the blueprints, which was very difficult for them to get a hold of in the first place, (laughs) at least gives them like somewhere in the realm of possibility of being able to pull this off. Otherwise, I think they'd be giving the Red Triangle Circus Gang a little too much credit. But you know, they, they have the blueprints and they obviously have people with some kind of training where they can get in there and do this. So yeah, it kind of, um, like, normally they're a silly background villain in this book, but here it almost feels like they could kind of hold their own against Batman wit-wise or gadget-wise, so I don't know. It do- it does put them on a different kind of a level, like that you know maybe they just needed like by themselves like they probably wouldn't do this but with the penguin kind of focusing them and making them do these things like they they have the ability to do it they just need a leader to kind of do that for them Mm, good point good point yeah batman feels like he has indeed underestimated his opponent not only penguin but i'm guessing all of them as well at this point he realizes that penguin is aiming the batmobile toward a crowd of bystanders Mm. in desperation again uh, he already had one act of desperation of uh, punching out the instrument panel. Now he rips out two handfuls of wires that he sees in there, but it doesn't do anything. It is amazing how much you can unplug in a car and it'll still start. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. I would guess this stuff would be a little bit more delicate since it seems to be that part of the... Because it mentions new wires, but it doesn't do anything, so that's, that's all good. So what does happen next is Penguin brings the weapon system online and Batman grabs the lever that controls the weapon. And apparently to engage it, you have to push the button or the lever down. So he's trying to pull it back up with everything he's got. So he manages to disengage the weapons over the monitor. Penguin pops up (laughs) and says, Batman, I know you're not having a swell time, but let me tell you. Taking control of your vehicle, mowing down decent people, and laying the bad vibes squarely on you makes the hairs in my nose tingle. 
<laughs> That's a visual right there. <laughs> <laughs> I love that phrase, and I might just have to add it to my daily lexicon. I mean, yeah. I mean, I feel like you kind of have to, because that is a pretty great line. <laughs> <laughs> So after he delivers that little message, the lever that controls the bat discs, so we learn now what weapons exactly are being engaged. Uh, some kind of disc, you know, being shot out of a car that's moving quickly. I mean, that can do some serious damage. That That is lethal. It is. And and this is interesting, too, because uh, so if, if, if you watch the movie, that doesn't happen. Like, he doesn't engage any of the weapon systems. And uh, if we remember from the beginning of this, well, in the beginning of the book, he shot out like little blades to cut like stilt walkers. But in the movie, uh-huh. he used the bat discs. So these bat discs were used oh. in the movie in the beginning uh, when he's driving around and he shoots discs out and he knocks, the, you know, the big skull guys off the motorcycles and stuff like that. So it's kind of weird that the book, <laughs> the book doesn't use the bat discs in the beginning, but it uses them here. And then the movie... Uh, uses the bat dicks in the beginning, but then doesn't use them at the end here. So it's kind of an interesting little juxtaposition there. But I love that it looks like at some point maybe they were supposed to be used at both times because then you get the mm-hmm. you get them used in the beginning, and then now the bat discs are being done here, and it's kind of a callback to him using it before. And uh, but yeah, it sounds like they're shooting out the sides of the Batmobile and hitting people, and you would get a pretty great scene. Which is this, I think that would have been great in the movie if they'd used it of him actually hitting like a newscaster <laughs> when he's broadcasting. And I I love that the the visual of that would have been awesome in the movie remember us talking about uh earlier in the book when he was using those blades to cut down the stilt walkers and we were kind of joking around about how these ben-hur style wheels are popped out and and he's driving around crowded streets so there are innocent bystanders who batman is just lopping off the at the knees yep. there's a lot of injured shins <laughs> like, like the hospitals are like what, what's something's going on with shins what's what's it's like a virus or something <laughs> the lever that is the bat discs being engaged it slams down again and this time batman cannot undo it mm-hmm. so that that is Scene 1. Chapter 31, Scene 2. The penguin glanced up at his third monitor, the one hooked into cable TV. Batman is out of control, a reporter was shouting. First he murdered the ice princess, and now... His reporting was cut mercifully short as one of the Batmobile's bat discs thumped him on the side of the head. My, the penguin thought. He'd always wanted to do something like that. Probably must the reporter's hair up, no end. He turned his attention back to the Batmobile. Ha, he said to the camera. The flimsiest evidence and all those tater heads turn on you. Hey, just relax, and I'll take care of the squealing, wretched pinhead puppets of Gotham. He looked out of his driving monitor. Screaming Gothamites were fleeing every which way in front of the marauding Batmobile. But wait, look at that defenseless grandmother they had left behind. She stared at the onrushing car, frozen with fear. This was the sort of victim the penguin liked to see. Now, scene two, we go to Penguin's point of view. So while he is remotely operating the Batmobile, he checks the monitor that is displaying cable TV, and a reporter is shouting, Batman is out of control. First he murdered the Ice Princess, and now... And this might be where you're talking about, Pax, where the uh, bat disc hits the reporter. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. live TV. Yeah. It's a risk. It is. And that would have been so great in the movie. And uh, I, I think we talked about it last time because 
We mentioned it here, like in the movie, his little remote control center is like a little mini Batmobile car ride kind of a thing. Uh, the book <laughs> does not mention that. I was a little sad that, that it didn't really mention what he's sitting in controlling it. But uh, mm-hmm. in my head, it's still that awesome little mini Batmobile car ride <laughs> that he's sitting in because it, it is that's a great visual, too. Yeah, I remember us talking about how great of a Happy Meal toy that would have been. Oh, made. yeah, it would have been amazing. <laughs> Penguin makes a good point when he tells, uh, when he says to Batman, you know, they have the the flimsiest of evidence and all these tater heads, <laughs> he says, are turning on you. And so, yeah, they are kind of um, using a, just what they think they see or what they're putting together. And they're they're jumping to some pretty damning conclusions regarding Batman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about that. Like. The Batman pushing the Ice Princess off the roof, and I'm using major air quotes when I say that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, we, yeah, we were like, it, it is super flimsy how this plan is set up. But I mean, I could see how a mob mentality that that would totally work. So he tells Batman, you know, just relax, it's fine. <laughs> He'd take care of those puppets of Gotham. <laughs> he spots his next victim, and I love this. He announces. Helpless old lady at 12 o'clock. <laughs> I like that too. <laughs> then he presses the accelerator. And that is scene two. Oh, not the helpless old lady. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be a helpless old lady, right? Because if she, she could help herself, then it wouldn't be that big of a deal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Chapter 31, scene three. Something around here still had to control the car. If only so that the vehicle would respond to the remote signals. The Batman just had to think it through, but fast, before the Penguin's command of the Batmobile killed someone. He pulled open the ceiling panel, revealing a mass of fuses, the real control center of the Batmobile. But which one? He tried to visualize all the charts he'd drawn when he helped design this thing. Third one from the left should do it, or so he hoped. Batman reached up and pulled. The Batmobile squealed to a halt. The old lady, only a few feet in front of the suddenly still vehicle, Ran away at last. One saved, Batman thought. And one more to go. Scene three is from Batman's point of view. And uh, Batman is still trying to figure out how to stop the Batmobile before Penguin kills someone. Which he is obviously aiming to do. He realizes, you know, the the Batmobile is picking up remote signals somehow. So that might be his plan of attack. Mm -hmm. So he (laughs) opens a ceiling panel, revealing a mass of fuses... Quote, the real control center of the Batmobile. Why didn't he start with that first? <laughs> yeah, if that, you're right. If that is the heart, then go for that. <laughs> uh, you know, for most of us, we could say, oh, it was the adrenaline. But this is Batman. He's trained for this. <laughs> <sighs> no, it's all fun. I, I like, like finding little things to poke at now and then yeah and it's the batmobile so there's probably like 30 banks of fuses that are all over the batmobile <laughs> mm-hmm. he visualizes the plans he had drawn up because he's trying to figure out which fuse to pull basically so he visualizes the plans that he had drawn up back when he helped the batmobile designer so i think this is the first confirmation we have that he actually had a hand in the creation of the batmobile i believe yeah that's true like Even though it's usually a given, I think it's canon, but as we mentioned in previous chapters, it almost came off as it was some high-end vehicle that you could build what you want on the internet and then order it. So he thinks it's the third fuse from the left. He thinks that should do it. 
He's okay with pulling out fistfuls of wires, but he wants to make sure he gets the one, <laughs> the one fuse them all out, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> maybe those fuses that maybe there's fuses that are holding the weapons in place, and if he unplugs it, I, just like a sphincter, it'll let everything go. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> that is a very good point. Like maybe like all of a sudden fire starts shooting out the back, and he fries a bunch of people. I can't believe I made it two years in this podcast, and I've only just now used the word sphincter. <laughs> you now use the sphincter. Yeah. Well, you. You've done it now. I mean, you can just close up shop. You did it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> I'm going to get the giggles from that. Sorry. So anyway, he pulls it out, the fuse, and the Batmobile squeals to a halt. Yay! Yay. And the little old lady, a few feet away, runs off. Keep in the back of your mind that the Batmobile squeals to a halt. Chapter 32, Scene 1. The penguin cackled happily on the monitor. For the merest of instance, Batman thought about disabling the monitor itself, but that would save his ego, not his life. You gotta admit, the penguin croaked, I've played this stinking city like a harp from hell. Not for long, Batman thought. He drove his fist through the monitor, silencing the penguin with a shower of sparks. There. Sometimes you just needed to feed your ego. Chapter 32 Scene one is from Batman's point of view. So Penguin is cackling away on the monitor and says, You gotta admit, I played this stinking city like a harp from hell. Yeah, he kind of has, yeah, actually. he did. Yeah, you know, this is kind of a, I think the first time Batman really, had, well, that and you know, the Ice Princess and all this stuff, you know, this is only just now Batman has evidence of Penguin actually doing something wrong. He'd just kind of been suspecting him this whole time, but... You know, now, now he's he's got proof. He's been validated. Yep. So in response, like you mentioned, uh, Batman punches the monitor. <laughs> it's okay. He can afford a new one. Oh, yeah. He's probably got 20 of them back at the cave. <laughs> <laughs> so far, he's like ripped off the, or punched the instrument panel so he could take that off. I don't know if the overhead compartment with the fuses, I don't, it doesn't sound like he broke that off. I think that one he actually took off on its own. The monitor he's punched. I'm keeping a tally here. Yeah, the damage. <laughs> <laughs> you know, insurance is going to want that itemized. Oh, yeah. Then there's the quote, and maybe there was another way to stop the Batmobile. And he kicks downward through the floor panel. And see, why I kind of commented hard on that is we just read a few lines ago that the Batman squealed to a stop. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's another way to stop the Batmobile. <laughs> so I don't know... If he meant stop it from being controlled, or if it was just kind of, you know, some things got shifted around in editing and it didn't get caught. So it's just one of those things that Lane likes to catch. Yeah, that's a good point. I uh, I, t- I took it as just stop being controlled, like you said. But that's a good point. He does say specifically, stop the Batmobile. Yeah, because uh, what he does now, he kicks downward through the floor panel. He said he's obviously going to do the Flintstone version of the brakes. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> and he pries up... A panel revealing wires and spinning gears. And I think it mentioned the ground flying by underneath. Yeah. So uh, it's just a, it's just a little goof. And I think anyone who's listened to this podcast for a while knows I love catching little goofs. Yeah. I mean, and it is interesting because, I mean, in, in the movie, because I think he does stop it. And then she goes and then it takes off again. So it, maybe whatever yeah. he did was a temporary thing to mm-hmm. make it stop. I don't know. That's a good point. I, I actually, that one flew right past me this time. Interesting that it starts going again. So in that case, then I think he just failed to mention it taking off again here. Yeah, I think that's the problem. Let's see. Where was I? 
Oh, he's punching through the floorboards. And he trusts his glove to get down through the spinning gears and keep his hands safe, which thankfully he gets down there with no problem. Uh, Mangled hands are not fun. Yeah, and I've always thought, even watching the movie and the many times I've read this book, the Batmobile, (laughs) I don't see how he could have busted his way through the bottom of the Batmobile. If it was that easy to get through the Batmobile, I mean, I would think the whole thing being armor-plated, even the bottom, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so, and it does mention he kicks the metal plate and pries it up. And I, I still feel like there would not be an opening there for him to kick open and pry open under yeah. his feet there, because it just seems like that would, that automatically is like anyone could get in there at that point. You're right. <laughs> and especially with his repertoire of villains, surely at some point, one of them has tried to put a bomb under the Batmobile. Right. So you'd want that to be nice and armored. Super armory under there. Yeah, totally. <laughs> With as heavy as the Batmobile has to be, I mean, its fuel mileage must be crap. And, I mean, we saw earlier, well, in the book and in the movie, the thing that comes down and spins the the thing around. So it's got to be all plated so it can support itself uh, Mm -hmm. when the thing comes down and spins it around for the zero-point turn. Yeah, which a zero-point turn is would really come in handy sometimes. Yeah, totally, especially in a big-ass car like the Batmobile. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, he, he, he breaks down through the floor panel and he sees the antenna sticking up. So there was an antenna under the car and good thing it happened to be like right under where his, where he would be. (laughs) Right. Not in the back somewhere. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. They had stuck it anywhere else in the vehicle and if he couldn't have gotten to it, you know, but thankfully the Red Triangle Circus gang put it right where he could reach it. Okay. Yeah. Just in case he needs to get it. Here it is right here. (laughs) So he snaps the antenna, and with the Batmobile back under his control, he takes off like a Batman out of hell, out of Gotham Plaza, past some cops, because you know right now the cops aren't a big fan of his, because they think he killed the Ice Princess. And I was curious, talking about remote-controlled vehicles, do you know when the first radio-controlled car was invented? I do not. According to Uncle Google, an Italian electronics company, Electronica Gel. I can't even say Oswald Cobblepot. Why am I trying this? <laughs> Electronics company. Electronica Gelato or something. That's not it, but it's close enough. Created a small model of the Ferrari 250LM, powering it with a nitro engine in 1966. Oh, wow. So very cool. Very cool. Chapter 32, scene two. What? The penguin couldn't believe it. Came this close to a perfect evening, he cried in anguish. He pounded the controls. Iced the princess, blew away Batman, almost got married, killed the bitch. He held up two black-gloved fingers. This close. But somehow Batman had gotten away. Gotten away. It was enough to sour the penguin's whole day. Luckily, he had his other plans to fall back on. The mare's race, for one. And after that, his master stroke, so magnificently nasty that he could forget any small failings here. Not that Gotham City would ever forget. No, he was sure that once his plans were complete, they'd remember Oswald Cobblepot forever. So scene two, we move on to Penguin's point of view. And he curses that he was so close to having a perfect evening, but alas, Batman got away. (laughs) He has a pretty great line here, yeah. Uh, when he was, <laughs> he's he's mad because he lost him, and he's like, 
came this close to a perfect evening. I iced the princess, blew away the Batman, almost got married, killed the bitch. <laughs> I just think that's a pretty great line. Yeah. Yeah, he had a busy day. Yeah, he did. It's full day. Luckily, he has other plans to fall back on, like running for mayor and his still unnamed to us magnificently nasty masterstroke that is in the works. Right. And Gotham City would remember Oswald Cobblepot forever. Chapter 32, Scene 3. Batman wasn't in the clear yet. Three police cars had managed to give chase. A couple of them had cops firing at him. Not that that was a worry. Even a damaged Batmobile was sufficiently bulletproof. But if possible, he needed to shake these cruisers without hurting anybody else. He rummaged through the exposed wires on the dashboard. That was a second problem. He needed to override whatever damage the Penguin had done to his vehicle and get the Batmobile's functions operating at a level that would help him with his escape. He made a sharp right. The cruisers managed to follow. The street narrowed in front of him into a space so narrow that you could barely call it an alley. Much too narrow for the Batmobile or the police cruisers. It was time for one of those special Batmobile functions right now. Scene 3 is from Batman's point of view. So Batman is still having some problems with that darn Batmobile. <laughs> it's still not 100%. Not quite yet. He has regained a little control, but now he's being pursued by, I think, two or three police cruisers. And they're firing at him, but the Batmobile is bulletproof, so he's okay. But still, he needs to he needs to lose them. Which is now the, the police decide, I'm going to do my job. <laughs> like As opposed to every other time when they're like, ah, Batman will handle it. Well, Batman's not acrobats, so they can take him. Yeah. Yeah. He starts digging through the exposed wires that he's dug through at some point. So he needs to override whatever damage the penguin has done. The penguin, dude, you've been pulling out wires, kicking up panels, <laughs> punching monitors, yanking fuses. Sure, let's worry about what the penguin did. Right. I'm sure you didn't do some of that damage yourself, Batman. Classic gaslighter. <laughs> exactly. Classic. <laughs> but anyway, he makes a sharp right turn. The cruiser is still on his tail. They go down a space too narrow for the vehicles. So we're coming up on a Batman or a Batmobile trick. He flips a switch. Nothing happens. <laughs> okay, so, but the wires are still there. So he finds the correct wires, or what he thinks are the correct oh, yeah. wires, mm -hmm. and sparks their little ends together, and the windshield wipers turn on. And I don't know why that just tickles me so. <laughs> it does me too. The thought <laughs> that Batmobile has windshield wipers. And why would it not? Because he's going to drive <laughs> when it rains, right? <laughs> exactly. It just, uh, I don't know why I, my brain doesn't want to accept that. It's like the Batmobile is too tough to be taken down by rain. It doesn't need to wipe the drops away. Has, yeah, that has rainproof win windows on it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so aerodynamically built that the raindrops just fly right over it without touching it. <laughs> yeah. It's like, and if it's got windshield wipers, does it have like the little, the fluid that comes out and he cleans it? Like, does he get bugs on the windshield too? <laughs> <laughs> I'm picturing him like when he stops to fuel up with that little scraper and the <laughs> scrubby scraper thing. And be like, ah, damn bugs. <laughs> while the Batmobile's filling up, he's, th he's throwing out fast food wrappers while he's there. <laughs> Trash can is right there. Oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, the game keeps the giggles. 
That's him throwing out, when I eat it in and out burger. <laughs> <laughs> he has to keep the wrappers in the car so Alfred doesn't know that he got food without him. Yeah, exactly. He doesn't want to eat any more of that vichy swa. <laughs> <laughs> Good callback. Well done. <laughs> he kept getting Happy Meals, hoping to get that little uh, penguin in there. He wants the penguin thing. <laughs> Sorry, Batman, they didn't do that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Fine. We're back. Yeah. We're back. <laughs> We're not. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine what the image for this episode is going to be. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> so anyway. <clears throat> so I find it impressive that he's doing all this you know, finding the right wire wires while he is driving because he is in control of the Batmobile, at least to a point here. Yeah. And evading police, um, which is harder than usual because they are able to catch up with him because the Batmobile is not at 100%. But, you know, finally he gets the right wires. The sides of the Batmobile fall away. The wheels come underneath. So I think of it like it went from roller skate layout to roller blade. It's how I'm picturing it. Yes, yes. Yes, nice. that is exactly right. And uh, th- this is another thing that's, you know, the the book can do that. I'm I'm sure they could have had a gag like this in the movie, and it's just cut for time. But you know, and he fiddles with the wires, and then the windshield wipers came on, and then he he takes a beat, and he goes, "That's funny," <laughs> <laughs> and that, that makes me laugh because that feels like a movie moment. That doesn't feel like a Batman moment. It feels like a Batman movie moment. <laughs> <laughs> where he just stops and that's funny because I thought it was funny too and I, that made me laugh. So then he looks back and sees the the alley getting closer and he's like, now I'm a little worried. <laughs> it's like that's another movie <laughs> moment that you wouldn't get normally with Batman. And uh, right. But it makes me laugh and I love this moment that he like had a couple times where he couldn't actually fix it and had little funny things happen and uh, only the book could do that. Like the movie, that would just be, you know, I mean, we need to get past this. We need to get moving. But uh, these right. are fun little moments that I... This is why I adore novelizations. And obviously, we found it funny, too, because we were joking about it five minutes before, (laughs) while Lane lost her shit over a stupid mental image of Batman (laughs) squeegeeing off his windshield at the gas station. That's right, because that's a funny moment. (laughs) But yeah, then this Bat Missile, which, I mean, I'll admit, it's kind of weird. It's a weird thing for for the Batmobile to do, like a feature that is so specific for a situation. It's kind of weird, but it's also kind of cool, too, honestly. Yeah. Like, he was planning for this exact moment. He's like, one day I'll have to drive down between buildings that are too narrow for the Batmobile. I better... Yeah, so... I be, better be ready to shed my fenders, you know? It's like, it's it's so specific and so weird that I love it. And I can't even imagine the moving parts that are required for all this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As we expect, you know, the Bat-missile-shaped car was able to, to squeeze down the space, and the police cruisers get wedged in the in the space. So Batman escapes. And rollerblades were invented in 1980. Oh, later than I would have thought. I thought it was earlier than I thought. Cause That's what I was I saying. I, like, I thought it would have been later, like 70s, maybe? So I was thinking more toward 90. Oh. Yeah, because I, when I was a kid, we used to do go to the skating rink all the time, and course you had those uh, like the typical uh, roller skates that have been worn by a number of people i don't even want to think about <laughs> almost as bad as bowling shoes if not as bad right and it wasn't until 
I was getting, like, the skating rink wasn't really my thing anymore. I started seeing people bringing in their own rollerblades, and I thought, oh, that's cool, that's new. But it might have just been, you know, we lived in a small town. Um, right. We weren't, weren't always up to date on the cool things, so. I mean, and I they know. may not have been as widely available until the 80s. Because I remember going, yeah, we had a skate place, Skate World, and I remember going when I was younger, so in the mid 80s, and people would bring the inline skates, and but mm-hmm. you didn't see them very often. So right, it was something to stare at when they went by. Yeah, like, oh, that's cool. That's the future right there. <laughs> I'm so jealous. <laughs> so jealous. <laughs> if I had that in the calculator watch, I would be queen. Exactly. Those have got to be faster. It's so streamlined. <laughs> <laughs> Chapter thirty-two, scene four. He just wasn't in the mood. Max Shrek stood by his side, trying to be cheerful enough for both of them as he guided the penguin toward the platform where he was scheduled to give his speech. So he survived, Max said dismissively. Come on, be a minch. Stand tall. His voice trailed off as he saw the look the penguin gave him. Perhaps Max recalled that the last time Oswald Cobblepot had felt this way, he'd almost bitten off somebody's nose. Of course, since that incident, the lovely Jen seemed to have kept her distance, too. Some women were just too sensitive. C4 is from Penguin's point of view. Penguin and Max Shrek are hanging out near a platform where Penguin will be giving a speech and the crowd is already gathered. And Max is trying to make him feel better because, you know, Batman got away, so he's upset. Max is like, so he survived. Come on, be a minch. Stand tall. (laughs) Be a minch. (laughs) Yeah, and Max is really broadening my vocabulary because he uses all these words that I'm like, I've never heard of that. I had to look up Minch and it's a, a person of integrity and honor. That one I've not heard. Yeah. I'd, I'd heard it. I've heard it used before. but And I love that he used it. I mean, I, I totally wish Walken would have used it. <laughs> I can hear every bit of dialogue that Max says. I hear it in Walken's voice. Yeah. And I, I love that he's trying to give Penguin a pep speech, a pep talk. Because mm-hmm. it feels like he's been doing that all movie. Like he did it when he's bringing him down and trying to do the mayor speech. You know, he's always talking up the penguin. And it's like, I love how much work Max is doing here. You know, he's he's using a lot of shoe leather to try to, try to cater to this guy's ego. So I, mm-hmm. I like that they keep showing that. If Max weren't such a, a creepy, murderous jerk, I mean, he'd be a good person to have on your team. Totally. So Penguin gives him a look after he's telling him to basically get over it. And he hopes the look reminds Max that the last time he felt this way, he almost bit off somebody's nose. (laughs) So finally, we get confirmation that he did not bite off Josh's nose. He just bit it very badly. Yes. Almost biting it off. Yes. Almost. So Josh is scarred, but not maimed. (laughs) But Penguin doesn't want to calm down. (laughs) And I love this line. He didn't even lose a limb. An eyeball. Bladder control. <laughs> bladder control. I like that, too. And now I I want to know if there are any stories of Batman wetting himself. You don't get captured by villains and tied <laughs> up for hours on end or days on end and not have to go pee-pee. Yes, there's one pretty famous story. Kevin Smith wrote it. And I'm trying to remember which one it was in. Like Batman Cacophony or Batman Widening Gyre, one of those that Kevin Smith wrote. And it was, the situation was like, I guess he got caught in an explosion or something. And the heat and he made it an explanation. I don't think they showed it. I think he was flashing back and saying like, the heat was at a certain temperature that no matter what, it released bladder control. 
So like, oh, like, yeah. and it didn't specifically say it, but he was hinting that he wet himself at that point. And I think a lot of fans were really upset with Kevin Smith with that. And uh, but I, I always thought it was kind of funny. And uh, but I'm like, I mean, come on, he had to at least once or twice. Yeah, you're right, stakeouts. Something. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> he has to. Whenever he goes home, he has to have his cape tied around his waist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. I mean, at least. Kevin Smith made it so that, you know, he had no humanly possible choice but to wet himself. It was the, the extreme heat. It was beyond his control. Yes. Um, interesting. Thank you for confirming for me that there's at least a mention of Batman wetting himself. <laughs> yeah, there's at least one out there. <laughs> <laughs> so Max waves out to the crowd who, like I said, are already gathered. He tells Penguin, they've lost faith in the old symbols. They're ready to bond with you, the icon of the future. And uh, Penguin's like, yeah, they're cheering for me, aren't they? <laughs> then the crowd is going, Oswald, Oswald. You know, if they keep it just to the first name, because they're, they're going to stumble <laughs> over the full name, too. You can't chant Cobblepot very easily, you know. <laughs> no, I can't even say it normally <laughs> I know, very easily. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I can say Cobblepot fairly decently and Oswald pretty decently, but when I try to put them together, it just... Mm. <laughs> Penguin is starting to see himself as a hero to the teeming millions of Gotham City. Not the mayor, not Batman, Oswald Cobblepot. Max continues, and I love this, uh, he's saying, we'll celebrate tonight at my annual Max Scarade Ball. (sighs) I love it and I hate it, but I mostly love it. Yeah, I I was the same way because I didn't... For some reason, I've read this book several times. I did not remember that. And when I read it this time, <laughs> taking my notes, I was like, that is amazing. And why is that not in the movie? But mm-hmm. of course it's called the Max Ball. <laughs> I mean, of it couldn't be called anything else. That's perfect. <laughs> While he was talking, I, I tried. I almost forgot why Max is trying so hard to get Penguin to be mayor. Because uh, they don't, they haven't talked about it in a long time. But it's because you know, if you think way back to the first couple chapters, Max wants to build this power plant. Yeah, and the, the current mayor is blocking him from doing that. So all of this is just for this power plant. Yes, which doesn't come up very often, but it does come up like once or twice here or there. Mm-hmm. The penguin, meanwhile, is realizing that the crowd screaming for him doesn't just have women; it has babes. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Screaming, cobblepot, groupies. <laughs> so, and he's like, to think that a child of the sewers raised by emperor and king penguins could have groupies. So, I mean, yes, that is that is an accomplishment, Mr. Cobblepot. It is. It is. It, and I love that he calls them cheap and tawdry. <laughs> Just like, but they're my babes. <laughs> exactly. So he goes to the mic and he's swelling with pride. And when he spoke... It was no longer a simple squawk. It was a booming squawk. I love that. Yep. <laughs> Still a squawk, but, you know, it's all about the... Confidence now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, the characteristic of the squawk. Uh, so he says, When it came our time to ensure the safety of our city, did the mayor have a plan? No. He relied on a man. A Batman. The crowd eats it up. And Penguin thinks he really could get into the role of Supreme Ruler of Gotham. (laughs) Chapter 32, Scene 5 Selina Kyle stood and watched all the hoopla, and all the cheering for the two men who had tried to kill her. Max Shrek, Oswald Cobblepot, a.k.a. the Penguin, 
She didn't begrudge them their few pitiful moments of glory. She wanted them to go as high as this campaign would allow. The heights, after all, would make their fall so much more satisfying. Catwoman wasn't playing anymore. It was time for her to sharpen her claws. So 32, scene 5. This is the last scene for this chapter, I believe. is from Selena's point of view. And Selena is up on a... I can't remember. Is she like on a rooftop, or does it really say? I don't. I don't think it really says in my head. Or I mean, maybe if it did, <laughs> I didn't pick up on it because in my head she's at the edge of the crowd, like kind of in the back of the crowd, standing a little bit back so she can see the whole thing. And yeah, for some reason I had her in as Catwoman on a rooftop, but yeah, I think Selena Kyle would be better. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so Selena is watching. Gotham cheer for the two men who had tried to kill her. And that's actually really rather profound. Mm -hmm. And it's got to be like a really, I I can't imagine the complex emotions that she's got to be chewing over right now. Yeah, I thought that too, when she said that. And I was like, man, that is totally true. Mm -hmm. Uh, But she'll allow them their glory because it will make their eventual downfall that much better. Catwoman wasn't playing around anymore. And one of Seems to be Craig Shaw Gardner's pet phrases. I think this is the third time that it has come up in uh, this book and the first Batman novelization. It was time for her to sharpen her claws. <laughs> I thought that too. I was like, I, I was like that. That I swear, I've, he said that multiple times. Like, because the Joker said it, and this is the second time she said it. Correct. Exactly. <laughs> See, it's it's. It's all right. It's all right. <laughs> it's just one of those phrases that sticks out so much that it does. when I see it, yeah. Chapter 33, Scene 1. Bruce Wayne found himself watching television again, and another of those never-ending media events with the Penguin. And this time, the Penguin was talking about Batman. A ticking time bomb of costumed freak, the overblown politician exclaimed to the crowd, who finally exploded last night, spraying this city with a shrapnel of shame. The penguin was there. The crowd was there. The TV cameras were there. It was time. Bruce walked over to the aquarium and reached into the replica of Wayne Manor in the middle of the exotic fish. He fished out a key from an upper bedroom window. I didn't write down notes for this section for some reason. We'll do this one live. We'll do it on the fly. (laughs) Chapter 33, the first scene is from Bruce's point of view. This time he sees that Penguin is talking bad about him, and it hurts his feelings. There's a lot of Bruce watching Penguin do things on TV while he's in Wayne Manor. (laughs) There's a lot of that in this book. I gotta admit, Michael Keaton, like, I keep picturing him, at least from that first movie, sitting in front of the monitors in the Batcave with that turtleneck and the glasses. (laughs) And And he, he he pulls that look off really well. He does. So, uh, yeah, Penguin is talking about Batman, that he's a ticking time bomb of a costumed freak. So then it's fighting words. <laughs> it's like those in glass houses, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. He said that he had finally exploded last night, which probably wasn't too hard to convince the crowd, because it's kind of been a running theme that, you know, how crazy is Batman that he runs around dressed as a giant bat? Mm-hmm. Um, even Joker kind of poked fun at that, so... There might have been a a great number of people who thought he had a tenuous grip on reality anyway. Oh, I'm sure there were. Yeah. Alfred being one of them? No. Yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was meowing in the Batcave last time. Good grief. <laughs> so, yeah, Penguin's there. He's, Bruce sees the crowd, TV cameras. It was time. Bruce walks over to his aquarium 
which I didn't know you had. <laughs> and he reaches into, there's a replica of the Wayne Manor in the middle of the exotic fish. Yes. Interesting. So he takes a key from an upper bedroom window. And this is really elaborate. Yes, So it is. <laughs> <laughs> and Alfred's standing by watching the TV. He says, I'm less worried about this ghastly grotesque, more concerned about repairing the Batmobile. It's not as though we can simply bring it to Joe's body shop, is it, sir? And he's got a point. Yeah. I think that it was his way of kind of nudging Bruce, you know, like, stop playing in the aquarium, you should go fix your car. <laughs> I'm not going to drive you everywhere in my Beetle. Yeah, I'm tired of driving you in the, the rolls. <laughs> I got to do everything else for you. More fighting words. So Bruce looks up at him, and I don't know why it says he was worried about security. I'm not sure what he was worried about. I think, but. I think Bruce is saying, I don't think it's saying Bruce was worried about security. I think Bruce is surprised that all of a sudden Alfred is worried about security because he's talking about you can't take the Batmobile to Joe's shop because it's the Batmobile and people would find out. So now he's like, why are you worried about security? And then here's where we get the name drop about Vicky Vale. Uh, Uh He's like, who's the one that let Vicky Vale into the back? (laughs) I just thought Mm -hmm. that was hilarious. (laughs) So we know... Bruce is the type of person to hold on for, to information to bring it back in a fight later. He does, totally. Uh, those people. <laughs> <laughs> but, of course, he softens this with a smile and a shake of his head. And So this scene is in the movie, The Aquarium, and he rolls up his sleeve and sticks his hand in the gigant- this gigantic aquarium that has a little Wayne Manor in the middle of it. And uh, <laughs> But in you're right, in the book, it's a lot more like he pulls out a little tiny key of the thing, and then he goes and unlocks the Iron Maiden. But in the movie, it's a switch. Like, he just sticks his arm in there and flips a switch, and it opens up the Iron Maiden. So it's a little less elaborate in the movie. So he continues on with teasing Alfred. And he's like, yeah, I'm sitting there working. I turn around. It's like, oh, hi, Vic, come on in. <laughs> yeah. And Alfred just kind of gives him a look. So anyway, we get uh, mention of the Iron Maiden in another corner of the room and kind of starts talking a little bit about selena and he says that she's more faceted than vicky was so i don't know if that's his way of saying that vicky was deep as a frisbee <laughs> that, that's how i took it <laughs> even though she was supposed to be yeah she's very smart and very talented yeah. we we give vicky a hard time because she's not here we can talk about <laughs> yeah we can she's not here we can talk all about her and she ran off. We don't know, like, what happened. She might have been the uh, villain in the uh, the breakup. So. Oh, yeah, that's true. I hate that the breakup happened off camera, as it were. I wanted to see, you know. What happened? Th- yeah. Yeah. It would have been good to know, but. Oh, well. Ultimately, none of our business, I guess. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Keep his little bat secrets. That's right. So many secrets, Batman. We get a note later uh, in a little bit that. Bruce Wayne has always held Alfred's, now I'm stumbling over Alfred's name, has always held Alfred's opinion in the highest regard. And I think that's a nice little touch. Yeah, I thought so too. He opens the Iron Maiden, the spikes are there and Bruce steps inside. So obviously this is some sort of hidden chamber because Alfred says, I believe I'll take the stairs. (laughs) So this Iron Maiden is a little elevator down to the Batcave. Yes. He's so extra. (laughs) I know. I mean, he wears turtlenecks, like the the sweaters and stuff. Like, that could snag on the the spikes, and that's just, uh, I don't know. (laughs) Well, and to be fair, in the movie, the spikes retract. 
Oh, okay. But gotcha, gotcha. but it's also kind of weird because I'm not for sure where they retract to because the outside of the Iron Man didn't look any different. So I don't know where these spikes are retracting into. It's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. I still don't know how I skipped it entire. I think I was counting ahead to see how long the chapters were to see. That's what it was. I was trying to see if I would have to cancel. So I was looking to see how long the chapters were to see if I could get them read. And oh. so I just skipped, skipped right through a chapter. <laughs> Chapter 33, Scene 2 Bruce jumped from the chute that had brought him from the mansion above. He pulled out the recordable CD that he had taken from the Batmobile and inserted it into a specially modified player. Alfred came puffing down the stairs behind him. The penguin was displayed in all his glory on the large monitor that dominated this corner of the cave. He droned on with his never-ending speech. You ask, am I up here for personal glory? The penguin asked. That was it, Bruce thought. Keep on talking until I can get the equipment set up properly, and Alfred can determine the frequency. He flipped a whole bank of switches. Chapter 33, scene 2. You know, Bruce is down the, the Batmobile, and he pulls out, and I had forgotten completely about this, this recordable CD that he had taken from the Batmobile. Yes. And inserts it into a specially modified player. Alfred comes down the stairs, and the penguin, in all his glory, is on the large monitor. He's going on, um, you ask, is this live, or was this, this isn't a recording, correct? Right, Th- that little speech there is live. You know, while Penguin is talking, Bruce is, you know, doing Brucey things, and Cobblepot says, I toiled for many years in happy obscurity beneath your boulevards. And they're punching these commands about finding frequency. So they find the frequency, and they're making some kind of modification. And these modifications affect the Gotham Plaza public address system. Yes. This is hmm. this is interesting, yeah, because the I, I thought this was interesting. Because I just thought, from the movie, they just latched onto his public address frequency and then jammed it and then pumped it in whatever they wanted. But the book pretty much spells out that... Uh, Bruce had made modifications to the Gotham Square public address system. And uh, it makes you wonder, like, how much tinkering and modifications has Bruce done throughout Gotham's infrastructure? Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, this is thinking ahead. This is like, he's like, at some point, I'm going to need to break into the public address system in Gotham Square, so I better get that set up. And uh, so where else did he do that? I mean, how much tinkering is Mm. Bruce in charge of all over Gotham? I mean, it makes sense, but it's also like, what else can he do. Yeah. It kind of reminds me, was it Dark Knight Rises? I can't remember which one of the Nolan trilogy where he catches some flack for having all this uh, surveillance on people's cell phones. Right. He's using it to track down Joker. And I think, was it Lucius? He was, he was just kind of like, you know, that's, that's a little bit, the invasion of privacy isn't a great thing. And Bruce is basically saying, you know, any means to catch the Joker yeah, how much has he tinkered around Gotham City for the sake of fighting crime? But it's also like, you know, are you pushing it a little bit there, bud? Yeah, yeah. There's certainly a line, you know, maybe it's a dotted line, but there's certainly a line there you may be crossing. Yeah, because when I had skipped ahead accidentally, I do remember seeing that something happens on Penguin's speech where he becomes reviled. And I thought that Bruce had played something that he had secretly recorded, but... It sounds like he... uh, Well, let's go on. (laughs) So, 
you know, Alfred jams the frequency, and the last line is, it was time to play. Chapter 33, Scene 3. The penguin was on a roll. He had all the birds and babes in Gotham in the palm of his flipper. The glory of Gotham, he shouted. Everybody cheered. How can this be accomplished, he called. Tell us, they called back. We want to know, Oswald. I know you're all concerned, he continued, and I'll tell you. There was no response. His microphone had gone dead. So the third scene, it says that it's from Penguin's point of view. He's on a roll. He's got all the birds and babes and Gotham in the palm of his flipper. So he's, <laughs> you know, doing his um, his speech and the crowd's going wild for him. And he's like, how can this be accomplished? And they call back in a very full sentence. Tell us! We want to know, Oswald! I'm doing that in unison. It's pretty impressive. <laughs> it is. So <laughs> he starts saying, but there was no micro, there's no response to the microphone. It had gone dead. But he thinks it was a momentary glitch because it, it kind of pops back up again. So obviously this is when the frequency is jammed. Oh, so he does. Yeah. It looks like he does play something back. He starts talking into the microphone again, but now the recorded voice that Batman did from the Bat- starts playing. Batmobile, yeah. Hmm. Uh huh. It has his voice saying, "Hey, just relax, and I'll take care of the squealing, wretched pinhead puppets of Gotham." <laughs> Penguin stares stares at the microphone. He's like, oh, "Wait a sec! I didn't say that! I didn't say that!" Oh, he said it last night. <laughs> and then Batman plays. You gotta admit, I played the stinking city like a heart from hell. And, uh, you know, Penguin is actually affronted. Like, these were off the record. <laughs> yeah, and, and the crowd does turn really quickly on him. I'm trying to figure out if that's realistic. Well, I, I feel like it's calling back to the fact of how quickly they turned on Batman. And right. then to turn the tables. I mean, yeah. Is it... I, I think... I think, yeah, considering how much they had on Batman, I, I feel like there's even more that the crowd heard for Penguin than there was ever for Batman stuff. So, Possibly. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, considering what we saw with him with Batman, this totally feels that's about right. That's about right is what it feels like. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'm just too used to being in a world where, like, people can do anything and their followers will still... Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> still be loyal, so... But, yeah, the, the crowd is booing and throwing things and... uh so he's he's falling from grace in their eyes. Chapter 33, Scene 4 Bruce Wayne allowed himself a smile. The crowd was reacting just as he'd hoped they would, angry that the Penguin had deceived them. And the Penguin, not the most stable of individuals, was getting angry right back at them. What could Bruce do now but raise the stakes? He punched a series of buttons and placed his palm on the CD, letting the computer single off that special phrase. Here it was. This stinking city. And again, stinking city, stinking city, stink, stink, stinking city. Just like a DJ at one of those downtown clubs. Penguin, how do you like that rap? Uh, scene four. Bruce is smiling. He's smiling. Take a picture. <laughs> and he had gotten the reaction from the crowd that he had hoped that the the penguin had deceived them, and they were not going to stand for it. The narrative is like, and the penguin, not the most stable of individuals, excuse me, Bruce, uh, was getting angry right back at them. <laughs> I suppose that if stableness were a spectrum, Bruce is more stable than penguin, but 
So he punches a series of buttons and he, he palms the CD. Oh my gosh. He he starts DJing some of <laughs> Penguin's words. The stinking city. Stinking city. Stinking city. Stink, stink, stinking city. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, it's they do it in the movie too, and I mean I admit it it's dumb and CDs don't work that way. Mm-hmm. But I think it's kind of funny. <laughs> I think yeah. it makes it makes me laugh every time I see it. Because so. <laughs> we don't often see Bruce or Batman playing, and that's, that's yeah, kind of fun. just playing around a little bit, having a little fun. Yeah, yeah. Chapter thirty-three, scene five. The penguin had to get out of this place. He grabbed his umbrella. Now, if he could get the rotor motor working. But wait, he brought the wrong umbrella for escape. Why, after all, would he have to escape from his adoring crowd? The penguin squawked bitterly. Say something bad about Gotham, belittle the populace a little, and how soon things change. This black number the penguin held now had another function entirely. Scene five. You know, Penguin's like, okay, I gotta get out of here. So he gets his umbrella, and there's like a rotor motor. A rotor motor. <laughs> I guess <laughs> this is his copter umbrella that he's wanting to get away from. Yeah. Um, but he had brought the wrong one because I think it had mentioned earlier that he had this big black umbrella that was fancy that he was using for this. So he didn't have his little umbrella copter, but it probably did have another. He said it had another function entirely. So people yes. are still throwing things at him, rotten fruit, vegetables, eggs. And, and he makes a really good point here. Why is there always someone who brings eggs and tomatoes to a speech? <laughs> who does that? I know. Apparently everyone in movies. <laughs> <laughs> no one does that. <laughs> and, you know, nowadays we just record it and put it on TikTok later. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Umbrella that he has brought tonight is a gun umbrella, which we figured was going to happen at some point. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because the book mentions... You know, you said he wanted to escape on his helicopter one, and he was like, well, he didn't think he was going to need to have to escape from his adoring fans, so he brings the gun umbrella? I mean, did he think he was going to have to shoot his way out of this speech or something? (laughs) That was just a funny thing to do. Yeah. I think uh, when the helicopter umbrella takes off, it kind of shredded its own fabric when the little motor started whirring. So does he have to replace that fabric every time? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he does. He's like a tearaway or something. But <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he takes off and some of the people start chasing after him. And with his deformities and short stature, he's probably not going to make it, you know, he's not going to outrun them. But he turns and, and uh, sprayed some bullets. Not a good thing. No. He says his machine umbrella doesn't have a limitless amount of ammunition, uh, so he's got a... And, and cops are showing up. So things are just kind of going south for him really fast. <laughs> yes, they are escalating quickly. Yeah. He keeps running, and there's a bridge ahead that looks awfully familiar. This happens to be the bridge that his parents threw him off of years ago. Okay, so I have a question about this. Yeah. that So that was your read, too? So, like... <laughs> I was reading this passage and I was like, how was was the bridge that close to Gotham Square? Like, I thought his parents lived out of the city in this like fancy neighborhood mm-hmm. and they went to the park. I thought I read that way, too. I read it. I was like, oh, well, that sounds like it's that same one that they threw him over. And then it took him out of the took him through his crib over or his stroller over. But I was like, that doesn't seem like it would be that one. So I thought, well, maybe he just means it looks exactly like that one. But 
Could so be. I'm glad to hear it was your read, too, yeah. that it sounded like it was trying to say it was the same one. I just didn't think that was where it was, was right in Gotham Square. And the, even if it is the same one, that begs the question, how would he remember as an infant? But we, <laughs> there's already like a little bit, some hints of that, that he's got memory that he shouldn't have. That's true. And maybe after his emergence from the sewers, he went to wherever it was, or he found out where it was. Or, of course, how would he know that? I mean, how would he know which... Which bridge they threw him off of. Yeah, or, that's or an odd e- thing to have in there. Yeah, or even who his parents were or anything. Like, how does he know anything about himself? Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's a lot of questions that are glanced over. And it's one of those things that fall apart if you look at it too hard. But it's still fun. Chapter 34, Scene 1. Rest in Peace Theater is proud to present... That time Penguin's gloves come off. The Penguin trudged out of the sewer pipe. He was wet, bedraggled, and humiliated. But he was home. He kept his eyes low, partially perhaps from dejection. But also from self-preservation. You never knew quite what the sewers held. He banged into something. He looked up. It was his rubber duck boat. Yes, he could use this in his plans, too. Those same plans he'd let Max and his own foolishness lead him away from. What did he care about babes? When the time came, the penguin would take all the babes he wanted, and there would be no one to stop him. He jumped into the boat and revved it over the sewage lagoon to his arctic island. There, ahead, were the penguins, his penguins, squawking and playing. The penguin smiled despite his pain. My babies, did you miss me? The penguin seemed to squawk in reply. He drove his duck up to the dock as he saw the first few members of the Red Triangle Circus Gang enter his lair through the main tunnel. He guessed things got a little bit too hot for them, too, after his speech. Or the speech that Batman made for him. There were debts to be paid when the time came. The clown waved and bounded over to the penguin as he climbed from his craft. Great speech, Oswald. The way you told those rubes the score... The penguin smacked the clown on the head with his umbrella. My name's not Oswald. It's the penguin. I am not a human being. I am an animal. Cold-blooded. Crank the AC. He pulled off his tuxedo coat and those damned gloves. Ah, how good it felt for his flippers to be free. It was time to get cold. Where's my lists? Bring me the names. With that, the knife lady entered the lair carrying a great stack of yellow legal pads with all the information he gathered, courtesy of the Hall of Records in the Gotham City phone book. It's time. (laughs) Gotham will never forget. He chortled with glee, hopping from one foot to the other, for this was the night of Max's party, the social event of the season, and all his victims would be unprotected. Yes, indeed. Gotham will never forget. He tore off the top page and handed it to the first of his minions, then the second page to another. Evan Black, 181 Shepherd's Lane. Thomas Frankel, 273 Carlton Avenue. These are the firstborn sons of Gotham City. Like I was, and just like me, a terrible fate awaits them. Tonight, while their parents party, they'll be dreaming away, safe in their cribs, their soft beds, and we will snatch them, carry them into the sewer, and toss them into a deep, dark, watery grave. Some of the gang members muttered at that. 
A few even exchanged looks. The acrobat who'd taken the first yellow page looked to his boss. Uh, Penguin? I mean, kids? Sleeping? Isn't that a little... The penguin lofted his sleek black umbrella and shot the acrobat dead. No, it's a lot. The rest of the Red Triangle Circus gang managed a hasty cheer. Good. Showed just what a little well-placed discipline could do. Not to mention a few well-placed bullets. So chapter 34, scene one. So we finally get the reveal of what his dastardly plan is. Let me pull up my notes again. And why he had been collecting names in his umbrella gun. Yeah. <laughs> and his legal pads. And then we see the and umbrella it, gun. And his umbrella gun. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there too. Maybe that's where he stored them. Hey, yeah, you never know. <laughs> never know. It was kind of interesting that we haven't heard a lot from the Red Triangle Circus gang. And it was kind of interesting to see one of them have a little bit of a conscience. You know, at least with like, you know, we're going to be taking sleeping children. Isn't it a little? Yeah. There's no room for a conscience in this gang. You're dead. Yeah, yeah. And that brought everyone else in line. Yeah. Chapter 34, Scene 2. There were certain duties a butler never approved of. Still, a duty was a duty, and could not be forgotten until it was fulfilled. So it was that Alfred took the invitation down to the back cave to remind his employer. Master Bruce was hard at work on the undercarriage of the Batmobile, which still looked like a total shambles. Alfred would not be surprised if it took weeks to get the vehicle in proper working order. Alfred cleared his throat. Bruce looked up from his work, and the butler proffered the invitation. He held it as far away from himself as possible. He wished he didn't have to hold it at all. The second scene is from Alfred's point of view. It makes me happy. We love Alfred. Yep. So Alfred is being a dutiful butler, of course, and he takes an invitation down to the Batcave. So when he gets there, he finds Bruce under the Batmobile, working on the repairs, and Alfred thinks that the vehicle looks like it is in shambles and won't be ready to go for weeks. Alfred clears his throat, and Bruce looks up, and Alfred holds out an invitation with a great deal of distaste. <laughs> Says, Mr. Wayne, a reminder, tonight is that loathsome party, hosted by that failed kingmaker, Max Shrek. May we RSVP in the resounding negative? It's, he has such a great turn of phrase. <laughs> he does. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of just saying no now, I'm just going to say, I reply with a resounding negative. Negative. Bruce considers for a moment, and then he replies, uh, I'm, I'm tempted, but, well, it is an occasion for a celebration, and um, Selena will probably be there. <laughs> there it is. Oh my god, it's so cute. <laughs> yep. He's crushing. <laughs> And Alfred asks, ah, who, may I ask, are you going as? Because remember, it's a, a masquerade. <laughs> masquerade, yep. <laughs> yes. And and Bruce says, you'll never guess. The scene ends there. The, the chapter ends there. And I was thinking, like, they had better tell us what he dressed as in, ch in the next chapter, because that's our last chapter for this episode, and if we had to wait, I would have been not happy, but it's okay, <laughs> listeners. We, we do learn. Yeah. 
And I, I felt like they built that up a little bit too much. It's like, you'll never guess. And I was like, oh, is it is it different? Because I couldn't remember from Such a if down. it was different than the movie. Yeah. <sighs> Chapter 35, scene one. This, at least, would come out all right. These last few days had not been among the best for Max Shrek. First, there was that little altercation with Selena. Unfortunate how Max's temper could sometimes get the better of him. It was very fortunate she survived her tumble from the tower, he supposed, although the fall did seem to have done something to her brain. Perhaps it would be better, after the holiday season was passed, to have her removed permanently, except this time Max would have the job done by outside professionals. He was much too big a man to get personally involved in that sort of thing anymore. And what about the penguin? Max had thought he had seen opportunity knocking with that little bird man, but unfortunately his chosen candidate appeared to have even more screws loose than the average politician. At least now that the penguin had been disgraced and was the subject of a massive police manhunt, he and his threats were out of Max's life for good. Chapter 35, scene 1, is from Max's point of view. Uh, Max reflects that for the past few days, things haven't been all that great. First was that little altercation with Selena. His temper gets the best of him sometimes, but fortunately she had survived. And I was thinking, oh, okay, could he actually feel some remorse <laughs> and be glad that she is okay? Um, but then it continues... Though it seems to have caused a little brain damage, and maybe after this holiday season, she should be removed permanently. <laughs> <sighs> I, I know. I thought that, too. I love how it starts off, and you're thinking, oh, he may, maybe he's kind of seeing the light a little bit. Maybe he's like, I shouldn't have tried to kill her. That was wrong. But it, it's not anything like that. It's like, he's above that. It's yeah. like, I should be hiring people to do <laughs> <Exactly>. this. Exactly. <laughs> Next time, I'll not get my own hands dirty. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, the penguin... Penguin was another issue that has been going a little wrong. He was starting to regret backing the penguin. Uh, he thought he had seen opportunity in him, um, but he seemed to be even crazier than the average politician. Yes. Might want to vet your uh, your projects a little bit better next time, Max. <laughs> just, a, just a little. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I mean, to be fair, he had just fallen down into the sewer and was ready to be attacked. So he was trying to think on his feet. So That's we'll, true. <laughs> yeah, we'll let this one slide. We'll let this one slide. Let's see. But, you know, now Penguin had been publicly disgraced by... I put that it was by Batman. I'm not sure if they know it was Batman. They just hear his voice. Um, but we know it's Batman. Yeah, we all know. We, we know. And he was the subject of a manhunt. But he should be out of Max's life now for good. Though I don't think that... you know We'll, we'll see about that. We'll see about that. So now it's time for a big party. One that he is holding in the previously damaged lower floors of the Shrek department store. So they're doing a little ho holiday cheer. Time to forget the old and, and embrace the new. And the new year would finally see his new PowerPoint. Power, <laughs> power plant. Oh my god, I hate digital technology. see <laughs> his new power plant um, under construction. I wouldn't be surprised if he was showing them the PowerPoint for his power plant at the party. I mean, <laughs> get everyone it. aware and on board. <laughs> He'd be doing a power play with the PowerPoint for his power plant. <laughs> All right. I've got to power down my pun plays. Okay. <laughs> I like that the book here describes some of the costumes that we see. Yes. And they seem kind of macabre. 
like a couple of them like uh, I mean he's a swami so it's not that big of a deal but mm-hmm. someone else is the uh the titanic being sunk uh-huh. and uh the mayor is Julius Caesar but after he's been betrayed so he's got knives sticking all out of him and um, one is the leaning tower of pisa one is the leaning tower of pisa so i just thought is that like was the theme disasters or something like that like yeah. it just seemed kind of funny that everything was that like that and i made a note about you know the first two mentions, one was the Leaning Tower of Pisa and the other was the Titanic. I, I wrote that that was odd, but interesting that the two choices were mentioned. Uh, they're both great works of craftsmanship that failed due to outside forces. Oh. So the tower due to the ground not being strong enough to support and the Titanic sunk by an iceberg. So a little foreshadowing, maybe? Oh, maybe. Hmm. Do we think the the goes that deep i don't know we'll see it's entirely possible you know he only he has a very limited range of what to work with the author and a very limited amount of time so i'm sure he if he saw if something came to him if he was inspired to sprinkle something in i would say he would was definitely in his uh would definitely do that (laughs) unless it was in the movie do you remember some of these costumes in the movie? I do remember. I didn't go back. I meant to look because I when I noted these, I'm like, oh, I need to go look and see if they're there. I didn't. But I do remember. I don't remember the mayor, but I do remember the sinking Titanic because it's it it's looks a, like it's it's like a hat. It's like somewhat the Titanic's on someone's head. It's like a hat and it's tilted to the side. Oh, so weird. Um, and. Uh, do I remember leaning Tower of Pisa? Yeah, I think that's also very similar. It's a hat, and it's leaning on their head. Oh, so like they're they're not wearing like a whole yeah, it's building. not a whole, full body thing, right? <laughs> oh, I was really trying to figure out how that would work. Okay, so if it's just a hat with like a model of some of these, that that's a little bit more doable. I, I Makes a little bit more sense. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, I, I was picturing this person dressed up like in a like a person sized sinking Titanic costume and trying to like waddle their way around the dance floor, and, <laughs> you know, hoping the smokestacks don't smack people when they turn. <laughs> nope, not that big. No. <laughs> All right. Um, so now that I've readjusted my my head, my my mental image here. Um, I'm sorry, Max notices that not a single person was dressed as the penguin, and he takes that as proof that Penguin has well and truly fallen out of favor with Gothamites. So this masquerade, since it's being held in the Shrek department store, it's a little funny when Max steps up to the microphone and says, Attention shoppers. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> I did so you I did like that. Not as funny as the Batmobile uh uh, windshield wipers, but it's still pretty funny. Right, right, right. <laughs> so uh, he continues, Like this splendid department store, Gotham can quickly bounce back from the t- tumult, the sturm and drang of the past days. So Max continues, So deck the halls and shake your booties. And the band launches in- into some some music with a good beat, and the guests make their way to the dance floor. So the, the dance, the masquerade has been kicked off, I think. And this is when he spots the mayor wearing uh, Julius Caesar. Like you said, he he has all these rubber knife handles and a bunch of blood everywhere. <laughs> so hopefully not yep. more foreshadowing. <laughs> so Max catches the mayor's eye and he kind of, he lifts his drink and like a, forgive me. And uh, <laughs> the mayor nods, you know, doesn't, nothing promised in the nod. 
but it was better than nothing. And the mayor is the mayor's very presence there is a good sign. So Max thinks he'll probably get away with uh, with him trying to oust the mayor, and he I think he thinks he can kind of get back on his good side. Right. So he sees another guest, and this is when we finally learn what Bruce Wayne is wearing. This amazing <laughs> costume that was that we've been waiting for since last chapter. That we never would have guessed. <sighs> what is he dressed up as, Pax? Bruce Wayne. Yeah. <laughs> God, it's so boring. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Bruce Wayne is just, I'm guessing, in a, a regular tux, which... Yeah, just in a tux. One might argue would be dressed as a penguin, so I don't know. Oh, yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> you made it work. <laughs> Max kind of says to him, and, and Bruce kind of deserves it, ingenious costume, let me guess. Trust fun goody-goody? <laughs> I remember talking in the earlier chapters when Bruce meets with Max Shrek as a business, like a business meeting. I really liked seeing business side Bruce Wayne being a bit like confrontational, like not really, like, just kind of standing up, not being a pushover, not being a, just like a social elite doing fundraisers. He's actually working and saying like, yes, I will help you fund this or no, I will not help you fund this. So that that's a side of Bruce Wayne we don't see very often. And that mm-hmm. kind of comes back a little bit here. So Bruce says, you know, of course you're feeling fine. You ma- you almost made a monster, the mayor of Gotham City. And Max has this weird line. I am the light of the city, and I am its mean, twisted soul. Does that really matter who's the mayor? That's a perfect Max line right there, I think. Yeah. I mean, he's like, who cares who's mayor? Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> and Bruce looks at him, he says, you know what? It does to me. So mm-hmm. it does matter to him who the mayor is. And Max actually says the word yawn and goes off to find more interesting <laughs> conversation. He does. Yawn. <laughs> yawn. <laughs> yeah, I I do like seeing uh, Bruce Wayne confront him again. Uh, I do dislike his taste in costume. Right. But it, it makes sense. I mean, Bruce isn't going to go dressed up as anything... I mean, at the very least, what I mean, he'd bring on like one of those Mardi Gras masks that you hold up on a stick and put it in front of your face or something. Yeah, that'd probably be the the most he would do. He wouldn't do anything goofy or anything. Yeah, that would, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it'd be something very classy. I think the Mardi Gras mask would have been perfect. Chapter thirty five, scene two. Chapter thirty five, scene two. Oh, so this we have a little surprise for you, listeners, because. Scenes with a lot of dialogue come along so rarely. We have this second dialogue-heavy scene, so I I think we're going to give you an encore. Shall we uh, pander to the to the fans? Of course, all, all twelve of them. <laughs> all, well, yes. Why not? Let's not leave one of them out. Rusty's <laughs> Theater is proud to present that time Bruce and Selena are the most boringly dressed couple in the Max Grade. There was something about Max Shrek's money-can-fix-anything attitude that brought out Bruce's most self-righteous instincts. He found the man extremely unpleasant. For a moment, Bruce Wayne thought it was a mistake to have come here. Then he saw Selina. She wasn't dressed in costume either, unless her costume was Selina Kyle. Heck, With a face and figure like that, why should she want to hide it? Bruce quickly crossed the dance floor in her direction. 
She was talking to Chip Shrek, who was dressed like some soldier from ancient Rome. Or rather, Chip was talking to her. Selena, Miss Kyle, may I have this? Bruce stepped in, and Selena looked at him as if Chip Shrek didn't even exist. He smiled at her, she smiled back. The band started to play something slow. Somehow, they were in each other's arms and dancing. Sorry about yesterday. Some big deal came together, uh, no, fell through, and... Was that what he told the butler to say? Bruce couldn't remember. Selena replied before he could get into further trouble. It's okay. I had to go home. Feed my cat. Bruce couldn't believe it. He looked into her eyes. So, no hard feelings? She pressed close to him. She looked up and smiled. Actually, semi-hard, I'd say. Bruce took a step away, suddenly embarrassed. If only he didn't find Selena Kyle so attractive. But he did. Selena did an amazingly slow pirouette before him, graceful and sexy at the same time. There's a big, comfy California king over in bedding. What say we... You mean, take off our costumes? Selena's answering laugh sounded more sad than happy. <laughs> I guess I'm sick of wearing masks. Same here. So, why did you come tonight? You first. He drew her close again. To see you. She didn't reply for a long moment. When she did, he heard that same sadness in her voice. <sighs> That's lovely, and I really wish I could say the same, but I came for Max. Bruce almost stopped dancing. Axe Shrek? Was there something going on in front of him that he hadn't even seen? An office flirtation, or maybe even romance? You don't mean you and Max. This time, Selena's laugh let him know he couldn't be farther from the truth. She shook her head. This and Max. She reached into her purse and pulled out a derringer. Is that the right word? Pander to the pander to the fans? Yeah. Yeah, fan uh, pandering. Sure. Okay. <laughs> Obviously, Selena must be looking banging in her formal gown or whatever she's wearing because Chip Shrek is dumbstruck by her. Yeah. And he sees her pretty much every day and he never gives her a second glance. But now he's just like, uh, uh, Selena, Miss Kyle, may I have... So he's obviously ready to ask him to dance. So I was waiting for Bruce to step in and, you know, just say, may I have this dance? But it's even better than that. He steps in, Selena looks at him, they smile at each other, the band starts playing something slow, and he doesn't even ask to dance, or they just realize, oh, we're dancing together. And I love that. Yeah, yeah. They just start dancing. They have such good chemistry. Yeah, and I like that, uh, <laughs> yeah, that she's... Chip is paying her attention because you're right. And actually, when I when I read this, I wasn't even thinking about it. That like every time before this, it's he's always like like his dad looks down on her mm -hmm. and uh, and <laughs> never gave her like only talked to her just to, because she happened to be standing next to him and didn't even do that much of that. Yeah, basically, if he wanted coffee or something. Yeah, right. And now now he's all like getting ready to ask her to dance for everything. That's that's a good point. I didn't even notice that because he's in even in the movie. He's not there when they see each other. 
Chip's not even there. She comes down the stairs and then Bruce walks up to her. So there's not even that moment. Oh, um, that yeah, so cool. I, I, it is. I, I agree. I think it's a cool moment. That's why I like it here in the book. Yeah. Because if, if she still had the persona of her self from before when she was like really kind of shy and, and, and mousy and submissive, even if she were wearing that same dress, I don't think it would have the same effect Right. As now when she's a lot more confident in herself. And so I think that plus the, the dress might have got Chip's attention. I'm not sure. But yeah, I, I really can't wait to see this, even though they don't have the Chip scene. I I, I want to see what Selena looks like in this scene. Yeah. So she pulls out a gun. And I mean, to be fair, Bruce, you saw her dropping blood in his coffee. So she was That's a little bit... <laughs> That's right. You know, she's a little unhinged. She's a little unhinged. (laughs) Yeah, it's so sad because where she pauses and and just says, you know, that's really sweet. Basically, I I wish I could say the same, but I'm here for Max. Like, she has crossed, I think, that point of no return. You know, she's going to be Catwoman. The Selena Kyle that might have been very confident, but still Selena Kyle doesn't seem to be the route that she's going to take. Right. Yeah, because she's had a couple moments where she's like... I could see myself, you know, being with Bruce and not following the path I'm going to follow. And you see her kind of struggle with that. Yeah. Here, she's made that decision that she's following that path. And she, this Bruce and her probably is just not going to work out. Yeah. It's a shame. Mm Mm-hmm. So, any final thoughts on this section that we read tonight? Uh, I mean, we're getting into the guts of the book here. And this is some of the best stuff. Like selena and bruce here at the party and uh, some of the other stuff that gets dug into um it's some of the best parts of the movie but it's even better here in the book because it kind of fleshes out a little extra has a little extra dialogue here you know like chip showing up here and a couple of other things that just kind of round out the experience and uh it's just it's really it's really a lot of fun in this section we're really kind of you can tell we're amping up to the finale nice well, uh, for next time, like I said, because the next five chapters, three of them are very short, and there's only, I think, two remaining chapters after that, we're just going to finish the, the final seven chapters for the next episode. And um, even though we dragged this out as long as possible with our <laughs> hiatuses, in, the, in a way, I kind of like that because we would have been finished in like, you know, a couple months. Yeah. You know, so... I don't know. I, I kind of like teasing this out. I'm like, oh, I, I get to record with Pax again tomorrow. <laughs> yep, so, exactly. And I, I have a feeling this won't be our last time recording. I'm sure if we have another novelization come around, I'll be like, hey, Pax, Pax, yes. what are you doing? <laughs> 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 right. I expect to hear from you when you do. <laughs> yes. Um, so would you like to tell the listeners where they can find you? Uh, yes, you can uh, find me every month on the I Read Movies podcast where I do things like this. I talk about novelizations, not as in-depth as we've done it, but uh, I, I dig into novelizations and pretty much just talk about the changes between the novelization and the movie and how things are different and extra story elements and stuff like that. So uh, you can find that every month at I Read Movies. It's such a fun podcast. For me, if you'd like to contact me, you can find me on uh, Twitter at BatmanBooks underscore DKP. Gmail, you can email me at DarkNightPros at gmail.com. It's night with a K, of course. And uh, so until next time, listeners, happy reading. Batman is copyrighted to DC Comics. 
and was created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. <laughs> <laughs>